As you know, children are always asking questions of God. Dear God, how did you know you were God? Are you really invisible? Are you invisible or was it really just a trick? How come you did all the miracles in the old days but aren't doing any now? Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it a mistake? It's not children, of course, who ask questions of God. We all do. And the asking questions that we grow in our understanding of faith. Many of the questions we have for God are answered in Scripture, so it behooves us to be diligent students of the Word. Still other questions will only be answered for us in heaven. Yes, we have, all have questions for God, but do you know that God has some questions for us? You may not have noticed, but God is always asking people questions in the Bible. And one of the reasons God asks questions of us is to draw us into a deeper relationship with Him. Questions initiate and sustain conversation, and it's through conversation that personal relationships grow. So that God longs to, to have a personal relationship with you and me. And He asks questions of us. What's more, by asking questions, God wants to help us think through some very important issues that lie at the core of life. To be asked a probing question often leads to an unsettling process of self-examination and reflection. A simple question can help us get in touch with some very important issues in life. So this summer I am preaching a series of messages on the theme, Questions God Asks. And last week we actually took a look at the first question God asks of us, where are you? It's the question asked of Adam and Eve who were hiding from God in the garden. It's the question of spiritual relationship. Where are you in terms of your relationship with me? And you remember it was a call to stop hiding, stop running, and return home to God who offers us forgiveness and new life. <clears throat> This morning, God asks you and me yet another simple yet probing question. It's asked in the context of a very sad story involving two brothers. So let's listen to God's word as we return to the book of Genesis, this time to Genesis chapter 4. We read, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? I think of a four-year-old little girl named Susie who just got a brand new baby brother by the name of Jason. And she was so proud and happy of her new brother and of her new status as his big sister. And so wherever the family went, this little girl would, would uh, cheerfully exclaim, proudly exclaim, this is my baby brother. This is my baby brother, and I'm his big sister. But that lasted about four weeks. <laughs> After a month in which Susie noticed that little brother was getting all of mother's time, attention, and energy, Susie declared in no uncertain terms, Mommy, I love Jason, but can we please send him back? <laughs> if you've ever had a younger sibling, perhaps you can relate to some of the feelings of Susie. The story of Cain and Abel, we have history's first example of a sibling rivalry, which, of course, can be a subtle or not so subtle competition between offspring under the same roof and caused by jealousy. In the Bible's recurrent themes, it played out again the relationship between Jacob and Esau and Joseph and his brothers. It's been a dynamic in families ever since. The story begins with the first family having a baby whom they named Cain. And then if raising Cain was not enough, they gave birth to a son named Abel. And so the rivalry began. Both sons were very different. Cain was a farmer, and Abel was a rancher. Cain raised crops, and Abel raised animals. Cain grew grain, and Abel grew sheep. But both were taught by their parents to honor God and to show gratitude to God by presenting an offering to Him, a gift from their labor. According to the story, Abel's offering was pleasing to God, but Cain's was not. It's not clear why uh, Abel's offering was acceptable to God and Cain's was not. It may well have had to do with the state of their heart. Abel's offering may well have been given in the spirit of, of joy and thanksgiving and gratitude, really wanting to please God, thankful to God, whereas Cain perhaps gave only grudgingly, out of a sense of duty. Perhaps Abel gave his best animal to the Lord, whereas Cain brought only a few leftovers. Whatever the case, Cain's offering was not accepted by God, and Cain was so jealous he could hardly see straight. His jealousy led to uncontrollable anger. He wanted nothing more to send his brother Abel back to where he came from. And he sent him back by murdering him in cold blood. It's the Bible's first death, the first murder in history.
We learned last week that you can't hide from God. No, Cain tried or not, probably would have wanted to. Probably knew he was in big trouble. But God finds Cain and God confronts him asking, where is your brother Abel? God, of course, already knew the answer to that question, and Cain did too. But did Cain take responsibility? Did he plead for forgiveness? Did he fall prostrate before the Lord, saying, What was me, Lord? Have, me, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. No. Instead, his words drip with sarcasm. How do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? And all I know is that if I talk that way to my dad, <laughs> I would get it. And here he is before the Lord and all the Lord of the universe. God is such a smart aleck. He was playing a game by answering a question with a question. Maybe it was a diversion tactic of sorts. I don't know. But the first part of this fellow's reply to God is an outright lie, right? I mean, he knows where his brother is. I don't know, he says, where Abel is. Of course he does. The second part of his reply, he uses a Hebrew word translated in English, keeper. But in the Hebrew, it's a word only used in animals. So Cain was essentially saying, do I have to herd dumb Abel like Abel herds dumb sheep? Then God responds by saying something essentially like this. I'm paraphrasing the sentence. No, you are not your brother's keeper, Cain. But you are your brother's brother. And being somebody's brother, Cain, demands care and responsibility, accountability. It means showing love and mercy. It's about treating your brother like your brother. Not as an animal, not as a piece of dirt. You are only thinking about yourself, Cain. But it's so sad, you know, Cain, instead of committing the first murder, being known for that, he could have committed the first act of mercy. He could have buried his anger instead of his brother's body and sought his brother's welfare in spite of his hurt. But Cain was too full of himself. He was trapped in sin. Remember, it's that ugly three little word with I right in the middle of it. So God pronounced judgment. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Is there more to that passage or is that it? I'm reading on. Now, now, that's the end of that text. Sometimes we get mixed here in our communication. The question is, where is your brother? It's a question God asks you and me. 
And we should know because we are called to care. For you see, we human beings belong to each other. There's a sense in which we are truly accountable to one another. Life in human community is not just about minding our own business. It's about taking responsibility for one another, looking out for each other, offering protection to those in danger, showing mercy to those who need a helping hand. We may not be our brother's keeper, but we are our brother's brother or our brother's sister. Trevor Hudson, who was a Methodist pastor, blogged about a funeral he conducted. It was a funeral for a young man who was 23. The young man had gone to his company's office party, and being one of the youngest and newest employees, his colleagues challenged him to uh, drink down some mixed cocktails. And when he climbed into his car to drive home, he was obviously in no state to drive. But none of his colleagues felt it was their responsibility to restrain him or to stop him in any way. And on the way home, on an open stretch of road, he fell asleep at the wheel. The car overturned, killing him instantly. His family was devastated. It was a senseless death. And then in reflecting upon this tragedy in this blog, Hudson writes, it raises many deep questions. Were the young man's colleagues to blame in any way for his death? Should they have prevented him from getting into the car? Do they have blood on their hands? Are they blameless for what happened? Questions like these introduce a difficult, complex, and challenging issue. What is our responsibility towards each other? Should we mind our own business, not care about what takes place around us, let everyone be accountable for their own lives? Or do we have a God-given responsibility towards ensuring the well-being of our loved ones and our friends and our neighbors and our enemies and even of our world? Those are huge questions. What do you think would be the default mode for most folks? Probably minding your own business, letting others be responsible for their own lives. And yet God calls us to care and to take responsibility for promoting the well-being and welfare of others. Life isn't and can't be just about minding your own business, especially if they're on the path to ruin. To simply mind your own business is to show apathy, and apathy is the very opposite of love. The opposite of love, I don't think, is hatred as much as it's just apathy. It's not caring at all. So we are connected to one another in the human family. We are responsible for our brother or sister, so that if they are without food, we need to feed them. If they're without shelter, we need to shelter them, house them. If they are sick, then we need to work for their health. If they're addicted to drugs and heading down the path of destruction, we need to try to save them. Where is your brother? God asks. Now, I think this is kind of a cool thing. The very first question in the Bible, the opening book of the Bible, the very first question God asks of us is a question we talked about last week. 
Where are you? That's the vertical dimensions of life. Where are you in terms of your relationship with you? It's vertical, right? The second significant question God asked you and me, found in the chapter, next chapter, has to do with our relationship with our fellow human beings. That's the horizontal dimension of life. Where's your brother? Where are you in terms of relationship with me? And then, where's your brother? And those two dimensions of life, of course, correspond to the great commandments given by Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. So you can't have a right relationship with God unless you're loving your brother or your sister, your neighbor. The two are tied together always. But then the question becomes, well, who is my brother? Who is my sister? And it's human nature to want to limit the definition, drawing ever smaller circles as to who is worthy of our concern and who isn't. Which ought to remind us of a story. One day Jesus had a conversation with an earnest lawyer about true life, about eternal life. And Jesus affirmed the man's answer that loving God completely and one's neighbor with the core of what it means to live a, a truly human life. But the man wanted to be sure he had it right, so he asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story of a crime victim in the ditch alongside the Mukilteo Speedway. Two respectable community leaders pass by and do nothing. It's not that they're bad people or evil people or whatever, it's just that they don't have any mercy. The third guy comes along, He's from another country, kind of disheveled in appearance. But it was this foreigner, a non-Muckletean, or is it Muckletean, or a Muckletean? I don't know. Who's the authority on that? It's the non-Muckletean who stopped and showed compassion for the victim, you know, calling for the, the ambulance and accompanying the man to the Prague ER, and then paying the bill for it. Jesus then turns the question back around, and like God came, says, well, says, who is the neighbor? And the attorney answers, the one who shows mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Where is your brother? Who's my neighbor? Who's the neighbor? And the answer is, is that it's anyone that is within our capacity to show mercy to. We can't help everyone, but we can certainly help someone in need who is lying alongside our path. By lying alongside our path, that may mean, you know, close by, just right geographically nearby, or might mean someone in Africa who has AIDS, or Someone in some far country, the kid you're 
you'd like to sponsor about their equitable. We always have a choice. We can mind our own business, or we can show mercy and love. What do you think God would rather have us do? Now, mind you, there's all kinds of issues about that. I mean, these are huge questions. Minding your own business, take responsibility, let people take responsibility for their own lives, and then be responsible for people. And sometimes, when you try and take responsibility for people, that, you know, there's all kinds of issues, ramifications there. Because then you get into trouble, and that becomes very complicated. <laughs> so I'm not naive to say, you know, to, to think that, that there are no issues here. But you might think about it, though. You might be mindful of our default mode. Just mind my own business, care about anybody else, let them take responsibility for their own lives. Or being a brother to somebody. There's a beautiful Hebrew legend of two brothers living side by side on adjoining lands. And one brother was the head of a large family, and the other lived alone. And one night the former lay awake and thought, you know, my brother lives alone. He has not the companionship of wife and children to cheer his heart as I have. While he sleeps, I will carry some of my sheaves into his field. At the same hour, the other brother reasoned, You know, my brother has a large family. He has many mouths to feed. His necessities are far greater than mine. As he sleeps, I will put some of my sheaves on his side of the field. So the two brothers went out, each carrying out his purposes, and each laden with sheaves, and met at the dividing line, and there they embraced. Years later, at the very place, that very place, stood the Jerusalem temple, and on the very spot, spot of their meeting stood the temple's altar. Only Cain had treated his brother like that. God is honored. True worship is performed when brothers and sisters treat one another like brothers and sisters. So may it be.